This episode of the Holly Fueled Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by The Feed. To earn up to $80 in store credit per year, visit the link in the show notes. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the show today. I am your host, Holly Samuel, and I'm a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and have my master's of health education in eating disorders. Today on the show, I have a very special guest and friend and colleague. Her name is Kirsten Screen. You may know her from Screen Nutrition on social media or the Kirsten Screen. Um, She is a fellow dietitian, and we are going to dive into a very highly requested topic today which is how does basically underfueling or just chronically not eating enough, whether it's not enough in general or just not enough of the right things, lead to GI distress and gut issues? I think this is a connection that um, it's easy for us to make as dietitians because we see this happening all the time and have a really profound understanding of how the body functions. But for Someone who's not a dietitian, you might be like, wait, what? How does that have anything to do with my GI distress? And it actually really does. (laughs) So I wanted to do a whole podcast episode on this topic, diving into this and getting into the weeds a little bit on how underfueling affects our gut health, because it is very much related. And Kirsten does such a great job explaining this topic and diving into it in her social media and with her clients as well. So without further ado, let's welcome Kirsten Screen to the podcast. Hey, Kirsten, and welcome to the show. How are you today? I am so stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I know we've chatted a little bit in other mediums of the internet on and offline, and I could not think of a better person to have on today to talk about this topic because you you teach clients this topic, you teach other professionals this topic and more about it. So I'm really excited to dive in. But first, if you could just give everyone an introduction of who Kirsten is, what you do and where you're located. Yeah, for sure. And you and I actually connected when you were still located here as well. But uh, my name is Kirsten Screen. I'm a registered dietitian. I have been a registered dietitian for a really long time, going on 20 years at this point. Um, I practice virtually like most of us do these days. And I did that pre-COVID, but that's the one positive that came out of COVID. It has kind of solidified for people the understanding that this is what we do. Um, I'm located just outside of Charlotte. I'm technically in South Carolina. I never lead with that because that stresses people out the second you say that. But I'm in a beautiful suburb of Charlotte on the South Carolina side. And um, yeah, that is what I do. That's who I am. Nice. I actually didn't know that either. That's that's funny. I um I get it. It's like right there from Charlotte. Yeah, you it's can like, like I'm throw a rocket. Like, <laughs> um, two miles from my house is the state line. Like my target is in North Carolina. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we are up here. Like Maine is right there and Massachusetts is right there. But then we're on the seacoast, which no one knows really exists in New Hampshire because it's like this big. <laughs> yeah. I awesome. Get that. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, today's topic, we're going to dive into basically how underfueling affects the gut and GI health. Um, I've done so many other podcasts. If, you know, for those of you listening on like what may be some causes of GI distress on your run, like if you're having too much fiber or fat pre-run, or if you're dehydrated and those are all definitely legit reasons why we can have GI distress, but that's kind of for another podcast topic. Um, today we're going to talk more about um, what are the causes of some GI issues can be actually from underfueling um, and from other just gut issues in general. So if you're like wondering about those other topics, 
that's on a different podcast. We're going to kind of dive into some different um, caveats of GI distress today. But I think first it would be maybe helpful if we could just define like underfueling. Like, what do we mean by that? Yeah, great, great question and great point. And I want to emphasize exactly what you just said that sometimes truly it is as quote unquote simple as we're not doing a good job with choosing the right things, right? But what we're talking about today digs so much deeper. Truly, when we mean underfueling, it can be two things. It can be literally not enough energy intake, or it could be inadvertent lack of energy intake because your output has increased and you're not even really realizing that there's now a gap. And then we end up in this, this realm that for the practitioners, this makes sense, low energy availability. It's an actual clinical term, right? Literally just referring to the fact that your body truly does not have enough resources left to complete basic metabolic functions. And your body's number one job is always to keep you alive. So it's going to shut down the stuff that's not vital. Um, and you're not going to notice for a minute. And that's the hard part, right? Like you're not going to notice until you've already kind of gone down this path. And then for most people at some point, you'll either have the slow boil phenomenon or one day you'll have a really blatant symptom and you're like, what is this? And then you'll think this is an isolated thing, but very often we can just tie it back to, you just truly aren't getting enough total energy. And I want to talk about two things, total energy, like lack of calories to do the work that you're asking your body to do, or it could be calories might be okay, but we have lack of other resources, micronutrients and things to make the processes go. So either way, we end up in a state where you are what we would call underfueled, where there's just a not, not enough in the tank of all resources to do what you're trying to do. Yeah. Thanks for defining that. And I think it's important to mention, like you said, this can be intentional, like, you know, we're following a diet or maybe we do have, you know, more of a serious issue with disordered eating, or it could be like, you just, you had no idea that this was going on. It was totally unintentional. And I, I see both all the time. I'm sure you do as well. I see a lot of that second in like my ultra people, marathon type people, because we just tend to underestimate the amount of work it takes for the body to run 26.2 miles and do all the training required for it. Right. So when, when I then start, and I'm sure you just to do this too, you start talking to clients and you're like, we're talking like 3000 calories on this long run day and you know, mind blown. And they're like, what? And these are people, especially I see it in my females. I'm sure you do too. That kind of grew up in a world where, you know, we're taught that less calories somehow is better. So then we're fighting multiple things. So it's very often inadvertent. It's not intentional. You're just truly unaware of the amount of output that's required. Yeah. I even read a study recently that basically said, um, like there could be like a short term, like air quotes for people not watching me benefit, um, mm -hmm. to like under fueling for a very short period of time. Like we get a short term benefit, but then, and that can be confusing because you're like, oh, things are great until they're not, <laughs> because right. then there's a lot of long-term issues. So what are some of maybe like the signs and symptoms, like someone might notice, um, you know, more long-term if they think maybe they're underfueling? Yeah. And the first thing I want to point out is that literally everything is affected in your body when you're underfueling. Like everything's affected just because you don't realize it or you don't see it, or there's not a blatant symptom yet. That's your body being really freaking awesome and making sure that it doesn't fall apart, right? Like your body is literally trying to do everything possible to not fall apart. But while you're not noticing, it's leaching nutrients from your bones, right? Like these are things that are happening. You're just not aware. You're not going to notice that it's leaching nutrients from your bones until maybe three months later, you have a stress fracture, right? But the common things that I see, and you know, feel free to add, because I'm sure you see a lot of these too, but fatigue and fatigue 
think it's one of those like it could be anything like literally do you have three children or you know like you have a really stressful job or you like truly don't sleep enough but if it's that chronic fatigue of like i'm rested and i'm still freaking tired like i'm doing all the things i'm still freaking tired that's a big red flag trouble sleeping this is the like you're wired but tired or tired but wired like you cannot go to sleep or you wake up in the middle of the night or it's restless sleep those kind of things um one that i see a lot that people tend to push off on other things irritability and anxiety those are massive signs of the body being in lack, right? And we try to push that off on busy lives and we're in the middle of a pandemic and all sorts of thousand things that could be that, yes. But when these things kind of start coming together and you're having a hard time explaining as to why they're currently happening and then you're in the huge training cycle that like start paying attention to that. Um, cravings and binging are always the big one for me for red flags for clients because that's your body telling you I'm literally needing crap and now I'm gonna make you eat everything that's not nailed down while you're cooking dinner, right? Um, muscle loss or inability to gain muscle that's a big one as well and this is where I sometimes have to point people in the direction of like they get excited because they're losing weight which first of all if we're training we should never be losing weight right like unless you're intentionally being in a deficit in order to lose weight you shouldn't be losing weight but so if you're losing weight uh, this is not a good thing this is a detrimental thing especially while training but pay attention is this muscle loss that's huge right um, but it could also be the flip side it could ironically be weight gain or weight loss resistance when you're like i'm not eating anymore i'm still exercising a lot but i'm gaining weight this is your body slowing down and you know going into metabolic adaptation in order to prevent total system shutdown and then there's the things that i think people would naturally think of like hair loss um, brittle nails, those kind of things. And um, again, ironically, those are the things we tend to pay attention to first because we're like, what the heck? My hair is falling out, right? Like these are things that are visual that immediately trigger something. Um, and then there's also things like frequent infections. These are systemic things. Your body can't fight what it normally would fight. And these could be overt infections. Like, you know, you constantly get the flu, but they could also be covert things like, and this is where we're going to get into gut stuff later. You're not tolerating things and you're having GI symptoms and those kind of things right? Um, and then lastly, low exercise tolerance. I think a lot of people pay attention to training plans that in the past were okay to do, or, you know, were well within reach and now you can't complete, or you simply cannot progress forward. Like you should with the training plan that your coach has put together. Those are all things to kind of start to pause and go what's happening. Like, is there a bigger thing at play here? Yeah. Thanks for summing that up. And I think, you know, like we said, it's like a better question is what body system doesn't under fueling effect because it really does affect the whole picture. It's just, you're probably going to notice certain things maybe more, more quickly, um, like the hair, the nails, like the things that are easier to notice rather than, Oh, I don't notice the bacteria slowly dying inside of me. Like that doesn't really always right. show up in the most obvious way, um, to the, you know, the average person who doesn't do this for a living. So, um, now to kind of bridge the gap to digestion and gut health and how this really kind of affects this part of the body. Um, if you could maybe, I think it'd be helpful if you could briefly go over like just the stages of digestion, like what happens when we eat food, what's supposed to happen rather when we eat food, how does it kind of go through the body? Yeah. I love that distinction. What's supposed to happen, right? Because yeah. it feels like so many people have issues with digestion that they have accepted as normal. So like, let's talk about what's supposed to happen. Digestion actually starts with the eyes. Like when you see food, <clears throat> excuse me, your body is meant to start releasing digestive juices. Saliva starts to flow all that good stuff, right? The second you start chewing saliva happens, stomach acid, 
becomes more acidic. Digestive juices are released from both the pancreas and bile from the gallbladder. When food hits the stomach, the gallbladder is meant to contract and squeeze out things to start digesting fat. Your stomach acid digests proteins. You release pancreatic enzymes that start working on carbohydrates. By the time it gets into your intestine, it should already be broken down. And we have to step back real quick. Your job then is to support this process. And when food is in your mouth, you're supposed to chew it until it's applesauce consistency before you swallow it. Like hands up if you do that. And I'm there's two people right now probably raising their hand who are listening to this, right? Like no one does that, including me. I'm guilty of that sometimes because we're rushed and we're busy and whatever, but that's what's meant to happen so that when it passes through, by the time it gets to your intestine, we have all these beautiful bugs that live inside of us, like pounds of them. So don't freak out when you hear that, but that's normal. And their job is then to break that down into basic building blocks and extract nutrients. In some cases, assimilate nutrients like B vitamins come to mind, right? Like your intestinal bacteria is responsible for doing that. And then guide it through your intestine. And then whatever you literally can't use is supposed to come out the other end. But the majority of it is meant to be used. And this entire process should be without, no pun intended, a lot of hiccups. It should be without a lot of interruption. It should be a fairly you know, time-sensitive and smooth process. It should not require straining by the time you do have to go to the bathroom. It should not require urgency by the time you're running and you're like, I need the nearest bush and did I bring toilet paper, right? Like these are not normal things that should happen. And to your point earlier, Holly, sometimes that's truly like we ate the wrong food at the wrong time. And like now we're diverting blood from the gut and like it's just all going to kind of come out because you can't process it. But if this happens always and this happens after you've dialed in your food intake and you've worked with your sports dietitian to pick the right things, there it's probably time to dig a little bit deeper because there's probably something else that's causing this or contributing at least. Yeah, totally. And like, um, even, even with that too, just to kind of go into this further, cause I think common versus normal is definitely t- a tough definition for gut health. So like, even when, um, you know, everything gets digested properly, like how many bowel movements per day per week, would you say, you know, are supposed to happen are normal? Yeah. Normal is between one, or let me, let me back up. Normal is different. What is supposed to happen is between one and three per day. Your normal might be way off from that, right? Like I know people who are like, if they go once a week, they're super happy. I know people who are like, I go five, six, seven times a day. These are not things that should be happening. A normal bowel movement should be one to three times per day. We should be excreting waste every day and it should be well-formed and it should not be painful and it should be solid and it should literally look like a sausage. I mean, this is what it should be. And we don't like talking about it because everybody thinks it's weird. Go read that book. Everybody poops. I read it to my kids. Like this is a thing, right? Like this is just as important. And one of the biggest ways and easiest ways for you to assess your internal health that is accessible to you hopefully every day, right? Like take a look at your poop after you poop. Does it look normal? Did it feel normal coming out? Did you have to strain? Was this a difficult process? Is this like at a whole orchestrated event every time? Do you have to go run and drink three cups of coffee and then, you know, eat raw broccoli before you can poop? These are not normal things. So it it should be a fairly uneventful process that happens one to three times a day. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's important to point out. Cause like you said, some people might say normal. Yeah. Once a week or normal. Yeah. Once a day, um, it looks totally different for everyone. And of course, if you do have like chronic conditions, there could be underlying reasons for that. Um, but in terms of like, you know, going through digestion, what's supposed to happen now we can kind of talk about what doesn't always happen. Um, and what maybe some of the adverse reactions are. So, you know, in what ways can chronically maybe not eating enough under fueling, like we defined before, affect this process, like, you know, compared to what's supposed to happen? 
Yeah. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier, what system isn't affected, right? The body works in this beautiful orchestra where when it doesn't get enough resources, its only job is to make sure you survive. So everything gets slowed down. That includes digestion, which is unfortunate because now you have even slower access to the things, or in some cases, lack of access to the things that you need in order to not fall apart. But the, here's kind of the, the big things that happen. Your stomach acid is going to change when you don't eat regularly. Your stomach might become less acidic, which is usually the main thing. This is where I would pay attention. Most people who have reflux, GERD, you know, frequent heartburn, those kind of things, it's usually not a high stomach acid issue. It's usually a low stomach acid issue. The reason it feels like burning is because now everything sits in your stomach longer than it should, builds up a bunch of pressure. And now that little bit of acid that is there gets pushed back up your esophagus. So it feels like you have too much acid. The natural response for most humans then is to take an antacid, which actually exacerbates this problem and makes things worse because now you have even less stomach acid. When we don't have that stomach acid, we don't release digestive enzymes, which means further downstream, the stuff that you do eat doesn't get broken down like it should. And you're not going to extract the nutrients like you should. So you're already in a deficit because you're underfueled. And now as a response your system is slowing everything down and you now can't extract the nutrients like you should, which means your micronutrient availability goes down. You might also not produce as much bile as you should, which puts a stress on your liver, puts a stress on your gallbladder, puts a stressor on a bunch of different things, right? Your normal flora in the gut, and this is a huge deal that people don't pay attention to, and this is an emerging field and there's a lot of research still coming out, but what we do know is when you chronically underfuel specifically carbohydrates, and I know we're talking to runners here in your world, when you chronically underfuel specifically carbohydrates, you're starving that normal flora in your gut. They eat what you eat. So when you don't eat, they don't eat. And their job is to digest your food so you can get your nutrients. You're, it's like shooting yourself in the foot. It's just a cycle that becomes worse and worse and worse. And then you end up with digestive issues. And I'm sure you see this, but I get a lot of people who are like, I have 17 food sensitivities. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to probably bet the money that you have zero. So like, it's, it's not that you have food sensitivities. It's that you're not breaking down your food because chronic underfueling has caused all of these downstream effects on your digestive capacity. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. And I think, and like, we're not here to gaslight you and say your symptoms are fake, but we're here of to course. say, you know, the root cause is probably not like an underlying sensitivity or allergy, unless you got like an IgE, like elephant test. Um, so, I mean, what would you say to someone who feels like they have like five safe foods that they can eat? Like what might be a good, a good, at least direction for them to go to, to figure out the root cause of that? Yeah. So the first thing, and this is simple because not everyone wants to go straight to testing, but the first thing is, are you eating an adequate amount of total food, right? Total energy consumption, and then also wide variety of things. And then can you nail it down to what types of things are causing you issues? And typically what we see with people, it's raw fruits and veggies. It's, I suddenly can't tolerate grains, or it's, I feel really full and get a lot of heartburn when I'm eating protein. Um, these are all signs of digestive issues. So as you just said, absolutely, we're taking the symptoms seriously because your symptoms are real. You are having these symptoms. What we're trying to get at is these symptoms are very rarely caused by an actual food sensitivity. And let me just clarify, food sensitivities are not things. Like there's no diagnostic criteria for food sensitivity. There are diagnostic criteria, as you just said, for food allergies. We check for those with an IgE, like elephant, let me use your words, um, test, which literally tells us there is a true immune response to this particular antigen in your blood. That's different. The IgG tests, G is in uh, glorified fake information. <laughs> those tests are routinely sold on the wellness you know, front. And all they are is a memory marker. They're a marker that 
check that your body is familiar with this thing. So anyone who's ever taken one, the things that quote unquote triggered are probably your five favorite foods, <laughs> because those are the things your body is most familiar with. That is the memory marker. So we just have to be really cognizant of not jumping to conclusions. And instead of just saying, I'm down to five foods, go, why am I suddenly not tolerating foods that previously I tolerated? That's usually a digestive capacity issue. So that's where in my world, we dig deeper. We do some testing and we look at the whole person and we figure out what's actually going on inside. And then we remedy those things. And probably 95% of the time we resolve the symptoms. Yeah. And I think too, like just to kind of connect it back to the the belly of the beast here. If you're feeling like you have five safe foods and you're restricting your diet more, you know, to be in alignment with what the food sensitivity test has told you to eliminate, you're really making the problem worse, especially if it's related back to underfueling and having low macro and micronutrient availability in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're literally just the thing that got you to where you are, you're now making worse. And we end up in this vicious cycle. And, and most of these people, especially in your world, in my world, we're still continuing to train, right? right? Most of these people at this point don't stop training. So you're already in this, this whole of you're in a chronic deficit, whether you realize it or not. And now you're taking these tests because you have symptoms from this chronic deficit. These tests tell you to restrict more. And now you're just digging the hole deeper. You're not going to get resolution of symptoms. Well, I take that back. People will feel better temporarily because the things that are being maldigested are removed, but all you're doing is creating other symptoms below the surface that you don't yet realize. These are symptoms that are going to cause longer term issues. These are symptoms that are going to flow over into hormonal production. These are things that are going to cause you to have the stress fractures and the other things that will then force you to stop training, even though beforehand you didn't want to, right? So like there, there's always a fallout and it's a cycle that unless we find the exit ramp, you're just going to keep spinning in circles. It can be really psychologically challenging too. Like if you are down to five safe foods and you're always afraid to eat out or you're afraid to go to events or you're just like constantly in fear of having like GI issues because of eating unfamiliar foods, like that can really cause us to need a whole different kind of support system too. Um, so yeah, I thank you for in, de in defense of not doing the IgG's food sensitivity tests um, because they can definitely just cause more issues and they don't really get to the root cause. It's more of like a band-aid approach because you shouldn't be on an elimination diet forever. Correct. And even if you were to work with a qualified professional for an elimination diet, and just side note here, that is always a registered dietitian. If anyone else is giving you an elimination diet, I would highly question that and go find yourself a registered dietitian. But even if you were to be on one with a registered dietitian, that person's sole purpose and job would be to identify triggers and then remove them temporarily to then reintroduce them. And also during that time, you need a substitute because your nutrients come from specific foods. We can't just be on elimination diets. And also in my world, we never do one because I just dig for the root. And then when we find the root, we fix the leak that's happening somewhere in your plumbing and we, we deal with that, right? Um, which again, 90, 95% of the time we resolve the symptoms. This is not to say that we can fix all the things. Of course not. Sometimes there are things where truly it's just like this for some reason doesn't work, but then we work to find a substitute to to make sure you're still getting your nutrients. Cause that's what it always comes down to in the end. Totally. And I think this is a good time to bring up the common question too, of, well, can I have my five safe foods and slap a bunch of supplements on it to fill in the gaps long-term? Like what would you say to the person trying to do that? Who's also probably training for a marathon and also probably trying to improve their performance. <laughs> 
Yeah, um, I'm gonna say no. No is my short answer. Now for the expansive answer on that. For one, you're still gonna need, you're still not gonna need, meet your energy needs, right? Like even with all the supplementation, your original issue was as we what we're talking about today was likely under fueling. So we're still not meeting energy needs. I don't care how much protein powder you slam, you're still not gonna meet the energy needs that you that you're missing. And also, again, we're runners. Protein's usually not the main issue from a caloric perspective. It's usually carbohydrates that we're shy on. But also, it's a band aid, right? Now, Nothing that you ingest in supplemental form is going to be absorbed in your body the same way as it would be assimilated from food that you eat. Your body is biologically programmed to take food that you eat and assimilate it into the nutrients you need. You can also cause a whole bunch of issues that you don't recognize are happening because you are not qualified to know the metabolic, nor do we expect you to, to know the metabolic processes of micronutrients. For example, if you take a zinc supplement, you might suddenly have a ferritin issue, right? Like these are things that you don't think about. If you're slamming vitamin C supplements because you think you're gonna get a cold and you're trying to do something good for your immune system, you might also affect zinc and copper metabolism and suddenly have an anemia issue, right? It goes so much deeper than just, oh, I can no longer tolerate fruit, so I'll just take a vitamin C supplement. Let's figure out why you struggle when you drink orange juice and let's get you back to drinking orange juice, right? Like supplements in my world are always temporary to fill an immediate gap to get you feeling better while we do the deeper work of figuring out why you felt this way in the first place temporary is the key here. They should only be referred to you, recommended to you by a qualified healthcare professional. And I'm going to die on this hill when it comes to nutrient supplements, it should be a registered dietitian. There are many other healthcare professionals who know enough to be dangerous in this realm, but the only healthcare professional that is trained in the nuance of micronutrient metabolism and how it all plays together with our food intake, that is a registered dietitian. So I urge you to find someone that is an RD that you trust. If you are currently taking a bunch of supplements, or if you feel like you should be taking supplements, go ask someone, ask a registered dietitian, have them do a whole evaluation on everything you do, figure out why you're not drinking the orange juice instead of taking the vitamin C, and let's work from there. Hey, everybody, I wanted to take a minute to hear a word from our sponsor for this episode of the show, which is The Feed. If you have heard me talk about The Feed before, you probably hear the excitement and passion in my voice. And that is because The Feed is just such a great resource. So what is The Feed? Basically, it's a website that you can go to and you can order most sports nutrition products off of. And this basically means that you can customize a box for yourself. You can do a subscription if you want to, or you can just do one-time orders. You can buy single servings of products so that if you want to like try a new protein powder or try a new gel, you're not having to commit to buying like a case (laughs) of a flavor that you could potentially hate. And that's one of the reasons why I love the feed, especially as a sports dietitian, because I know that while, you know, hey, our sports nutrition principles They apply to pretty much everyone, but what products you actually use in that template, that's really going to depend on you, your individual preferences, your gut, and what works for you. So I love that the feed has so many different brands available on their website so that you can try a lot of different things and see what works for you. And I was so excited to partner with them for podcast sponsorship because It's just such a great resource. I first came across the feed when I was training for the Boston Marathon back in 2021 when I started my training. And it was great because I could try all the different sports nutrition products that I tell my clients about so that I could really be like, 
you know, well-versed in what things actually taste like and how they go down. Um, even though I, you know, have my favorite products that I like, it just allowed me to buy single servings and try different stuff. So I really hope you go check out the feed. If you want to earn $80 in store credit this year, you can visit the link in the show notes and sign up to create an account and get started on your first order. Now let's get back to today's episode. Yeah. And I think, again, I know we'll both die on this hill, but um, we'll be there. We'll be there together. Um, you know, I, I think too, with, with a glass of orange juice, <laughs> with a glass of orange juice, it's going to be great. Um, you know, I think what's important too, is like, if you do reach out to a registered dietitian and, you know, obviously we don't expect you to know all these things. That's why it's our job um, to know these things. But, you know, if you're expecting, oh, I'm just going to talk to them for 30 minutes and they're going to fix me. Um, it, I would, I would love to figure that out. That'd be amazing. That'd be really cool. Um, that'd be really great for everyone, but you know, there are a lot of questions we have to ask you. We do have to know all about your day, your, your training, your intake, your history, what you're supplementing with, why, um, you know, and then the functional testing can come in and then we can kind of put the pieces together with you. And like you said, if there is some sort of elimination diet, or maybe there's some sort of thing that we have to fix in your plumbing, um, this is like a very set period of time, like from a protocol and just like period of time standpoint, it's, it's not going to be an overnight fix. So, I mean, to kind of dive into the weeds here a little bit, when you are kind of trying to help someone figure out if underfueling is causing some of their GI issues, like what are some scenarios that may come up and how long, I know it depends, but how long does it typically take to fix quote unquote? Yeah. Great question. And that's like the million dollar question that everyone wants the yeah. answer to, but I love how you set this up because I've had clients who made assumptions that just by association of having hired a dietitian, like my life will be fixed. It's not how it works. Right. And food is one of those things. And this is why it takes a minute. We eat every day. It's not like if you go to the doctor and you're like, I would like to stop smoking. You can literally stop smoking today and you're done forever. Right. Like it's hard. Obviously I'm not undermining that, but like your body doesn't need cigarettes. You need food every day. So if there are underlying things, we still have to get food into you every day. If there's psychological things that I know we both deal with a lot, because we deal with a lot of females and we deal with a lot of endurance folks, right. There's body image things and all sorts of things. There's a lot of relationships to food issues to deal with, that has to be factored into time because we're not even dealing with the physiological, physio physiological issues there. We're dealing with, let's get past the psychological hurdles first. In our world, we work with everyone for a minimum of four months when we do one-on-one -on -one coaching because it's just going to take a minute. We need time, like you said, to get your entire history, to get a grasp of what your life is like, to get a grasp of what your training is like. What's your schedule like? What else are you responsible for? What's the stress level like? What else is going on? And then we always want to know what What's your current intake look like? And we need more than like you telling me for 15 minutes what you ate yesterday. Like I want to see patterns because I don't care what you ate in one meal. I don't even care what you ate in one day or in one week. I get this all the time. It's like last week was not representative. I was on vacation. I don't care because you're still a human who goes on vacation. I need to see patterns, right? So that takes time. And then because we do functional testing, the test itself takes time. So we do four months at minimum. We have some folks who after three months feel 180 degree shift. We have some folks, usually the ones who waited longer and the ones who have done a whole lot more of the whole digging, we're, we're in excess of four months. And sometimes it takes a long time, especially once we start getting into hormonal territory where, you know, when we're dealing with folks with amenorrhea and other things, that takes time and you have to be willing to kind of prioritize that and, and be in it for the long run. Because every time you stop, we still haven't fixed the problem and it's just going to take longer and be harder the next time. Yeah. And I, I love that you pointed out too, like 
we can, we can give you the best plan ever and like the best treatment protocol ever. But if you have barriers to doing it, that could be psychological. Um, it could be financial, it could be timing. It could be what you're ready and willing to do. Like it's going to take a lot longer, <laughs> um, you know, because we have to sort those things out first. Um, you know, kind of best case scenario is probably three to four months. Like you said, yeah. for someone who's like ready and able to do all the things. Right. And then, you know, couple that was like, you just said, we're in a pandemic, people get laid off from jobs, people have children at home, like it's, this is why what I know what you and I do in coaching is not a come see me for 30 minutes, and let's follow up in two months, it is a we are by your side, we coach you through this because you have lives and families and things and the reality of ingesting food three to five times or six times or whatever per day requires some some finesse and some let's work around it and let's make sure we fill this gap and get you these nutrients and it just it, it this is where support comes in and this is where support from somebody who can see the big picture and kind of zoom out to that thirty thousand foot view to look at the whole situation is super helpful yeah. So when we talk about, you know, not getting enough food in the system, whether it's intentional or unintentional, um, you know, and then we start to have some of those symptoms, like you mentioned, like maybe we're having some like reflux because of low, probably stomach acid. Um, and then we've also put an antacid on that to make it worse. Um, you know, and then we're not getting nutrients absorbed from the food. Maybe there's an issue in the microbiome and the, the bacteria that live in the gut. Um, what, couple scenarios can typically happen with the bacteria as we kind of travel like lower down the GI tract, like, um, if we're under fueling and what symptoms might come out of that. Yeah. And we're getting in the weeds now. And I love these kind of things. Um, we're I know out over this. <laughs> um, so we have bacteria in our gut, right? Like we're all supposed to have bacteria. We have fungi in her gut and everybody freaks out when I say that, but this is normal. You're supposed to have that there. You have some that are super beneficial that do work for us, but we also all constantly every day. So don't go blaming whoever makes your food. Cause this happens. Um, we constantly ingest other bacteria because bacteria grows on stuff and we just ingest it. And even if you cook your food, it just sometimes happens. Your body is perfectly primed with appropriate stomach acid to kill most of those things that aren't supposed to be in there. When things like stomach acids start to change, you end up with changes in that bacterial balance. Maybe the good bacteria is being crowded out by bacteria that was like, hey, I didn't get killed in the stomach and now I'm going to set up shop and now I'm going to grow here. Maybe suddenly you ingest a pathogen and these are much more common than people think, much more common than people think. And it's not always violent and aggressive like E. coli and you end up in the hospital. Sometimes it's like this undercurrent of things and you just kind of deal with the symptoms and you're like, oh, I have diarrhea a lot lately, but it's not crazy. So I'm okay. And I'm just going to move on. So stuff is going to shift and stuff is going to change. And you might have multiple symptoms that seem similar, but could be opposing situations. For example, you could have really low bacteria because the bacteria literally didn't have enough food resources to grow. And the result is going to be bloating, pain, cramping, digestive upset feels like it takes forever for food to kind of pass through you. Um, but ironically, if you have too much bacteria, you'll have very similar symptoms because now you have bloating and pain and gas from the bacteria digesting too much, and you're going to have similar stuff. So it's just when you have GI stuff that isn't cleared by fixing how you eat, when you eat, making sure you're eating adequately under the guidance, hopefully of a dietitian, then it's time to dig deeper because there's probably something that has shifted in your actual physiological response to food. It's a mechanical process. It's a hormonal process. It's an enzyme driven process and all of these things. And then it's bacterial process. And all of these things can get messed up due to things that we unfortunately do to ourselves because we're trying to do quote unquote, the right thing, but you're not meant to know all these details. This is why some of us went to school for a ridiculously long period of time to figure it out. 
and are still learning about it now. And are um, still learning now. <laughs> yeah. And even we don't need to get too in the weeds with this because this could be a whole different podcast, but just to bridge the gap for people, how would what's happening in the gut be related to hormones? Yeah. Great question. So first of all, some of our hormones are actually activated and converted in the gut. So multiple things here, and I'm, I'm going to say very high level, cause you know me and I can go down the rabbit hole here, but like the main one that comes to mind is your thyroid hormone. So your thyroid, think of it sort of as your body's thermostat, your thyroid regulates, not just literal thermostat, like people who are chronically cold, like let's start looking at thyroid stuff, right? Like literal temperature thermostat, but also thermostat of speed of doing stuff. It is directly tied to your metabolic function and metabolic adaptation also means we're going to slow down thyroid. Thyroid hormone, ironically, also the majority of it or a good chunk of it is converted to active hormone in the gut. We need bacteria for that. We need healthy gut lining. We need a healthy immune system. So it's all connected. Cortisol is the other one that comes to mind here. Cortisol is a normal stress response hormone. We all have it every day. For example, it goes up while you're on your long run and probably stays up for a little bit after and then comes back down but the body responds to stress. So when cortisol is chronically high, your insulin metabolism is affected. How your normal digestion happens is affected. We all know this, like that nervous gut that we get right before a big event or before a race or whatever. Um, Chronic high cortisol is going to change how you digest. It's going to speed up peristalsis. That's the, the speed at which stuff normally flows through your digestive tract. It's all connected. And the problem that we sometimes run into that that is unfortunate, and this is by no malicious intent from anyone, but we tend to look at things individually as though they're happening in isolation and they never are. Everything comes down to micronutrients. Literally everything you do comes down to whether you have the right micronutrients in the right place with the right enzymes to do the right thing. So we have to look at the big picture and just keep in mind when you're seeing these symptoms, sit down one day and write them all down on one piece of paper and recognize that this is not like, you know, I have trouble sleeping at night and also totally unrelated. Um, I poop myself while I run and also totally unrelated. You know, I, I can't tolerate potatoes anymore or whatever. Like these are not isolated things. Like it's all somehow connected and we like to look at the whole body. Yeah, that's helpful. Cause I think like you, I think that just bridges the gap well of like, oh wait, this is connected to hormones, which means it's connected to fertility, which means it's connected to how I'm feeling. Um, you know, when it kind of goes back to the gut and figuring out like you said, where the quote unquote leak is in the plumbing. Um, it could actually be a leak and it's also could not be a leak, (laughs) but anyway, that's exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) That's another clear as mud, (laughs) (laughs) clear as mud. Um, so I mean, on the topic of, you know, if we don't have enough bacteria in the gut, I think a lot of people's first thought is, oh, well, I can supplement that with a probiotic. So what are your thoughts on probiotic supplements in general? Yeah. And again, emerging, emerging field, there's lots of research still coming out on that. And probiotics can be a huge tool to add. Here's the thing to remember. uh, And I think I said this five minutes ago, the symptoms of having too much bacteria can be identical to the symptoms of not having enough bacteria. So unless you know what's going on, you don't want to just throw more bacteria into your gut. Also, you don't know what bacteria is lacking, if any, and probiotics come in a million different varieties. And if you're just randomly taking that, it will be taking, it will be like taking a random antibiotic. If you don't know that you have an infection, and if you do, you have an infection, you don't know which one you have, and you're just going to take like any random antibiotic. You could make things so much worse and you could cause so many further issues for yourself, not just from a symptom perspective, but literally the balance of what's happening in your gut could be affected. The other thing with it, and there's new research that just recently came out about this. Um, and I have to remember what podcast I heard this on, but back to our probiotics actually generally don't do well after about 90 days of consumption because your body's kind of used to them. Like it's taken what it needs to. And here we are. I would much rather with my clients figure out 
A, what is the bacterial balance? Where are we? What's happening? And then if there are massive gaps, we work on dietary intake, which in your world and my world is always what it comes back to. What do we do nutritionally, right? So I want to improve dietary intake and instead get you to eat 30 plus different plant foods per week, get you to ingest some fermented foods, get you to focus, <clears throat> excuse me, on some resistant starch to have that bacteria grow instead of just another supplement, this goes back to the supplemental thing of like, it's never going to be the same thing. And you don't know what you're supplementing because you don't know what's going on on the inside. Right. And then there's going to be different strains of probiotics and different supplements that we could take and different doses and different potency. And also they're not regulated. So maybe there's actually nothing in that pill that you're taking, or maybe there's the wrong thing in the pill that you're taking. So it's kind of in the same realm of taking any other supplement. Um, I think people think probiotics are like benign and they're just like, oh yeah, I should take a probiotic. Um, but it can definitely make things worse, do nothing, or maybe make things better, but only for a short period of time. If you're also fixing the root cause, um, right. of why there's not enough bacteria in you. So, I mean, another kind of, uh, spinoff question to that too, is, you know, if someone is bringing up these symptoms, so I'm sure you see this all the time, all the time. Um, you know, if they're like, okay, I have these gut issues, I'm bringing them up to my doctor. Um, you know, maybe I'm getting all the testing done. They've gone in me from the bottom. They've gone in me from the top. I've swallowed a camera, you know, and everything's quote unquote fine and normal and dandy. And there's nothing, you know, super sinister going on. Um, I have IBS, you know, that's usually the gray diagnosis that they get. So this can be really frustrating for people. So when it comes to working with physicians or trying to figure out why this is happening, what are some of the situations you see that lead to a dead end and where could you maybe direct these people to go who feel like they just have to live with this forever? Yeah. And this could be a whole other podcast episode, right? <laughs> but let me preface by saying there is such a great space for gastroenterologists and all of your other clinicians, your physicians who do this very important work, but you're not going to see bacterial imbalance or digestive capacity issues on a colonoscopy. You're going to see visually, do we have a polyp? Do we have colorectal cancer? Is there an ulcer? Is there, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to see those things. You're going to see the true like visual disruption. You're not going to see this other stuff there. And also, even when it comes to stool testing, your doctor is only going to test for what he specifically checks on a list to test for. So if you go in and say, I'm pretty sure I have Giardia, if you have a open-minded physician, he's going to now, <clears throat> sorry, you're going to have to clip this out because I have a part of my throat. Yeah, go for it. It's sorry, Friday. sorry, sorry. The voices are dead. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know what's happening today. It's Friday. I've yelled at the kids too much. Okay. Let me pick that back up. Pause. Um, a physician is going to scope and visually look, right? And this is vitally important for things like ulcerative colitis or diverticulitis or any of these conditions that you might legitimately have in your intestines, but it's not going to answer why you suddenly cannot digest raw fruits and veggies or wheat or whatever when previously you could. It's not always going to answer why you can't poop for days on end. This is where we need to dig deeper, which sounds ironic when we're talking about a colonoscopy, because how much deeper can we dig? But we have to look elsewhere. We have to look for different markers, which is where we do functional stool testing. And we literally check for what's happening with the microbiome. What is happening with stomach acid? Are there pathogenic things happening? We have to couple these things together when we can't find a mechanical reason for things not working, which is what your gastroenterologist is going to look for. And the diagnosis, quote unquote, diagnosis, quote unquote, is IBS. And let me just clarify, IBS 
is technically a diagnosis of exclusion. It means we couldn't find anything else, but you're still having a bunch of symptoms. You're having a collection of symptoms and we're just going to call it IBS because we don't actually know what's causing them. Sure, you can take a bunch of medications to make you poop regularly, but you haven't fixed the problem. Why aren't you pooping regularly? This is where we look elsewhere. So my advice for somebody who is in that realm and has dealt with this for a long period of time, find yourself a functional dietitian. What we do in my world, I call integrative performance nutrition because I deal with a lot of athletes, a lot of active folks. You don't have to be an athlete to be in my world, but the majority of people are very active individuals. And we integrate your entire bodily function because first, before I care about whether you can run your marathon, I care whether or not you can digest carrots, right? Like I care that your normal functional self is whole and that you're getting your period if you're a female and that all of these things are happening as they should before I ever care that you completed your 20 mile long run. Because I don't want you completing your 20 mile long run if you're only pooping every five days. Like I want to fix that first. So find yourself somebody who is going to dig deeper and look beyond what was maybe found on a scope or on a biopsy. And we're going to look at the functional side of things. Thank you for explaining that. Cause I, I hear this often, like people have gone to, I mean, they've advocated the heck, you know, for themselves in the healthcare system and they've gone to several physicians and they've had all the tests done and it's been, you know, really kind of traumatizing and invasive and it's been a lot. And they're like, it's great that I'm fine, but I'm still not fine. <laughs> um, you know, quote unquote, fine from all the testing. So I think it's important to say, yeah, like these things that we're talking about, you won't necessarily see visually like in these more visual types of scans that they do. Right. Um, it has to be more functional and that's not always something that a physician's office will know about or do. Correct. Um, yeah. And yeah. I want to like something you just said, just because someone says that all your labs are normal, if you still feel not normal, keep pushing. Cause you know, your body better than anyone else. Like Holly can't tell you whether you feel normal. I can't tell you whether you feel normal, right? Like, you know, whether you feel normal because you know how you normally feel, how you felt before the symptoms started. If you feel like something's off, something's still off, keep looking, find somebody else who's going to maybe look at it from a different lens. Right. Yeah. 1000%. Um, and that's what we're here to do because like, you know, I'm not trying to say, oh, well, just do this and you'll feel great. Like we want to, we truly want to figure out why you don't feel normal and get you feeling normal. That's like our goal in life. So um, looking at, you know, this as a big picture too, kind of back to the timeline thing um, of how long this typically takes, because I don't know about you, but whenever someone comes to me and they're trying to finally get to the root cause of all of these things, there's also like a marathon in like two or three months <laughs> that they have on the calendar. I'm like, they're always training for a marathon when they figure out that their ferritin is like nine and that they don't have any bacteria in their gut. Um, so, I mean, just kind of from that, like tough decision, you know, what's the best thing to do here for the runners listening. If people do figure out, Hey, maybe I have like H. pylori, I have an infection, or maybe I have undergrowth of bacteria, or I have vitamin deficiencies, or I'm starting to dig and like uncover all this, these worms out of the can that are everywhere. Um, hopefully not actual worms, but that can happen <laughs> too. Um, <laughs> you know, what would you tell someone who also has like a big goal race that they're training for? Like, how do you usually approach that with your athletes? Oh, that's such a hard question. And I want to always acknowledge um, that, you know, people have worked really hard to get to where they are with races. And I get that I'm a runner. I fully like the last thing you ever want to do is have to stop training or pull out of a race or whatever, especially if it's like a big goal race, but not to minimize any other race. Um, we like to make a judgment call individually with that person. I've had clients who were training for big races and we were in a deep hole hormonally and from a digestive capacity and nutrient wise, like we were deficient in everything. 
And if we really buckle down and they're willing to do all the things and willing to back off just a little bit, maybe on intensity of their training, sometimes we can still do all the things and they come out okay. Sometimes it has to be really hard conversation, especially if I'm dealing with somebody who has, you know, we're, we're six months into amenorrhea and all your micronutrients are missing and you are 20 pounds underweight and your cortisol is either non-existent or through the roof. I'm going to tell you to stop running. Uh, and that's not always a popular conversation, but I'm going to tell you to stop running because I want you to still be able to run five years from now, as opposed to you're going to push to run through this right now. And then it's going to take you three and a half, four years to recover afterwards. And you might lose fertility and you might have permanent bone damage and you might have some other things. So I like to play it by ear. And this is again, why we, why we take time in coaching. We have to weigh how important is this to how much damage are we potentially continuing or even inflicting. Um, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's not that big a deal. And we're like, let's just really make sure we hone in on intake. And if you can absolutely adhere to this and we can drive up total intake and get you the carbs and make sure we're meeting micronutrient, you know, needs. And maybe instead of doing two speed sessions per week, your coach is good with us just doing some slow and steady stuff instead, then we're fine. We just kind of have to apply to every individual person and weigh some risks. Yeah. I appreciate that conversation. Cause it's, it, it can be that, you know, there's a happy ending and you do your race and we, we are smart about how we do that. Um, and it's all successful and dandy. And then it can also be, Hey, we are like, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, if you're going to get a stress fracture, it's a matter of when you're going to get a stress fracture. If we're really looking at things that are pretty black and white in front of us, and we're just trying to keep your best interest at heart. Um, both of us, to like, we don't want to tell you to stop running. Like that kills Never. us just as much yeah. as it kills you. Um, running because... keeps me sane. I'm a big fan <laughs> of running, but like, you know, if, yeah. if I feel like you're, you're, um, you know, hemorrhaging figuratively, obviously, yeah. um, and then, then my advice as a, as a healthcare provider, as a human, as a fellow female who loves running, I'm going to tell you, let's, let's really evaluate here and see if this is worth this risk right now. Yeah. And then like, you know, we can really go all in and fix the problem and then you're going to be running even better probably in right. the long term. So yeah, that can be a tough conversation. So I figured that would be good to bring up here for anyone who's starting to get the gears turning. Um, and this doesn't mean, oh, I def definitely think I have a problem based off of what you've talked about, but I'm definitely not going to reach out for help because I don't want to be told to stop running. Right, um, right. <laughs> you know, I've had people do that too. And then tell me, oh, I have a stress fracture now. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, if you do we're ask for your team, like yeah. we're always on your team, please remember <laughs> that with all of our clients, we're always in your corner. We want you to have all the things. I want you to be happy and have all the things always. Exactly. So like, this is your kind of, you know, hopefully kicking the pants to reach out to someone to get some help now so that you don't have to stop running. Um, because that's our goal for you. So yeah. I mean, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation before we kind of wrap up here? Cause I think we, we definitely covered a lot. Yeah, I think we kind of dug in and kind of went in the trenches on some of the stuff. I think the bottom line for me with people always is pay attention to your body and don't disregard stuff. We, we especially, and I'm going to keep saying this, but especially as women, we put a lot on ourselves and a lot is expected of us. And then we just kind of bear that burden, right? And we play the martyr and like, oh man, I only slept four hours last night, but I can power through. Like, don't, <laughs> don't. What would you say to your children? What would you say to your spouse? What would you say to your best friend? You would tell them, please stop what you're doing. Please go sleep. And then please eat a really solid meal. Right. So just keep in mind that you don't always have to play second, third, last fiddle to things, prioritize and pay attention because your body's constantly telling you it's constantly communicating. We just have to do a really good job of paying attention and seeing the changes before we get hit with a stress fracture. 
Yeah, I think that's important. And like with as runners too, a lot of us, that can be the time that makes us more in tune with our bodies. I think a lot of my female clients, especially will kind of disregard, disregard, disregard any symptoms. Cause they're like, Oh, I'm just tired because of life or because of my kids or because of whatever, um, you know, those vague symptoms that could be anything really. Um, and then the running and the performance is kind of what tells them, Hey, something's up. So you, if you are, you know, kind of getting that feedback, being in tune with your body, listen to it. Um, so Kirsten, where can people find you and all the good things that you do? Tell us what's going yeah. on. For sure. So um, we actually have a new nutrition IG. Uh, that's a very long story that Holly and I talked about right before this uh, podcast, but very long story. We have a new IG. You can find us at screen nutrition screen, like a computer screen. That is my last name. So find us on IG. You can also go to the website, which is just screennutrition.com. And we always love to hear from people. So reach out. Awesome. And now I want to ask you the end of the podcast question. So as a fellow runner and fitness enthusiast, you are finishing like the best race of your life, unicorn day, great performance. The sun is shining. Um, what song would be playing at the finish line to embody how you're feeling in that moment? I love your end of podcast question. And I actually, um, gave this some thought, um, here, this, this will be my song and like if you know this, then if this gels, then, then we're pals. Um, Queens don't stop me now would probably be my, um, end of, uh, marathon because it's just, it's that vibe of like, I'm invincible. I can do all the things and just get out of my way. Right. Like, so that would probably be my dream race, end of race. Everything went to plan and better Queens don't stop me now. Oh, one of the many reasons why I love you. I was like betting on, I was like, Kirsten's going to have a rock song. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, when, but you know, like at the end of a yeah. race, you need something that's like yeah. full vibes, like full tempo. And you're like, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we're going to need. One of my first um, guests on this podcast, she was actually one of my clients. She ran her first marathon was the virtual Boston marathon um, in 2020. And that was her answer. And I, nice. that's gonna make me think of both of you because both of you are awesome I love it oh that's really <laughs> funny I didn't know that that had already been an answer but that was my genuine answer so there you are yeah that's yeah, a great she answer she and I are already friends I don't even know her she and I are friends now <laughs> yeah you would, you would totally be friends Jill's awesome <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on the show I really appreciate you diving into the weeds with us today this was super fun thanks for having me I could talk about this for hours as you know this is near and dear to my heart so thanks for having awesome me. we'll have to have you back <laughs> we can dig into the weeds more <laughs> anytime anytime Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the show today. That was a highly requested topic, so I'm really glad that we had an expert helping me cover it. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It helps get this free information out to other people, and it really helps the show expand its reach. If you are looking for support um, in your nutrition and your training to help you really fine tune your fueling plan, how you're eating to support your training for your next race, or maybe even in your off season, because I always think sometimes it's easier to focus on one thing at a time and sometimes focusing on nutrition when our mileage isn't as high or our training's not as intense can actually be even more beneficial. Uh, My Strong Runner Academy group coaching program is going to be opening up for enrollment. So you can go check that out at the link in the show notes. Until next time, guys, happy running. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.